You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, we're going to be talking about parenting today, uh, which I know all of you that don't have kids are super excited about. No one's allowed to leave. Um, but it's, it's going to be a, a really good message for you to plan ahead toward. Um, and I'm going to start off with a little scenario here. And let me know, if for, you, for those of you who are parents, uh, this may sound, be familiar in your household as it is with mine. So the way this typically goes down in my household is, uh, you know, you're sitting down in the living room watching TV, relaxing, and then you hear this, this squeal come from the other room. Uh, there's yelling. Uh, in our house, a lot of times, crying is involved. One's yelling, one's crying. And so you get up from your, your chair rather frustrated uh, because, for one, you're having to deal with, you know, you're having to stop what you're doing to go and deal with what they're doing. And so you go into the room, and what you find is, is two kids fighting over something, typically a toy, um, and the accusations start flying. I had it first. No, you put it down. No, it's my turn. You've had it long enough. All that stuff. Sound familiar, parents? Right? So at that point, there's, 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 a, <laughs> there's a, couple of different, um, a couple of different routes that you can go as a parent. I think many times my first instinct is my sense of justice kicks in as a parent. Right? That's where I naturally go to. And so... I say, well, who had it first, right? So then the negotiation process starts to, to get to the bottom of who actually had it first because there's a part of me that, that wants justice to be done. I want this to be fair, right? So, so that's where I go. And then once I find out who had it first, um, there's typically some type of consequence that's going to come along with the bad behavior. And so there's a couple of different routes that you can go here that we typically go to as a parent, um, Many times we, we, um, we appeal to like a, a physical punishment, right? We'll say, do you want a spanking? You know, you guys ever go that route as a parent? Appeal to a physical punishment. Uh, we may have a, an emotional appeal with our children. We may say, I hate it when the two of you fight. I am so tired of this. Just stop. Or we can appeal to more of a, of, of a, appeal to a material um, make more of a uh, material appeal when we would say, uh, do you want me to take that away from you? Or if you don't stop, I'm going to take that away from you, right? And I think those responses are very, are very typical as a parent. Appeal to justice, appeal to emotion, appeal to a physical consequence, or appeal to, to uh, material, material things. But the problem with all of these approaches is they don't address the heart of the child biblically, Right? Uh, what these approaches are really designed to do is to take the idol that is in the heart of the child and use that as a motivation to change the child's behavior without ever addressing the heart of the child. So we know that whatever motivates behavior trains the heart. It's true for us as adults. So if you motivate with shame, you're teaching your children to respond to shame. If you motivate with emotional appeal, you teach your children to respond to emotional appeal. And if you motivate with material things, then all you're doing is training that child's heart to respond to the loss of material things. And one of our primary jobs as Christian parents is to lead our children to realize that they are selfish sinners 
and are in need of Jesus Christ. They're in need of grace and they're in need of mercy. (laughs) I love the look on my wife's face because this is so hard for us, isn't it? Like just the reality of doing this and we've processed this. It's challenging as parents, right? You're like, and the reality of this message is it was incredibly convicting for me because I'm just not, I'm not there. You know, I, I, I appeal to a lot of things before I ever address the, the heart of the child. But it's, that's our responsibility is to get down to the heart. If we're dealing with our children's sin, if we're going to make who had it first the issue, then we're never going to get to the, the problem inside of that child's heart. And ultimately, we're not really going to lead that child to Christ and to seeing his need for Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is going to be addressing in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 today. Is he's going to be addressing parents. He's going to be addressing kids. But what he's trying to get at is shaping the heart of a child to honor and to glorify God. So I want to invite you guys to open up your Bible to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And we're going to stand and read that passage of Scripture together. And then afterwards, we just ask you guys to remain standing as we're going to just say a quick word of prayer. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, wanting to hear from you today, uh, wanting our hearts to be shaped around uh, you and your words, uh, believing that um, your truth is the best way to live. Uh, Father, we have, we have so many other voices that are speaking into our, into our lives about parenting and, and how we should parent. The, the culture has a very loud voice in this. Uh, but Father, right now we come before you wanting to submit to you and to your word. And uh, in order to do that, God, we need your Holy Spirit inside of us to, uh, to change uh, and to be receptive to, to you and to your truth. So, uh, Father, I just pray this would be an encouraging time in your word as we, uh, as we look at um, how you talk about uh, the roles of parents and children. I ask this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So in, our, in this section of Ephesians, uh, Paul's been addressing the different me- members of the Christian household. We started two weeks ago with husbands and wives and, and looked at the, the dynamic there. Um, and then last week we, we, we did our, our next step in the pathways and celebrate. And then we're picking back up with children and parents today. And then he's going to go on to talk about uh, the other members of the household, which are servants and masters inside of the household, which we'll, we'll be getting to next week. So, so Paul, and, and he starts off this section talking directly to children, which I found kind of fascinating because when I pictured the book of Ephesians, I didn't picture kids in there. I just pictured a bunch of adults. But Paul, and, and when the early church gathered, the kids were always in the church for the reading and the teaching of the word. And in all honesty, up until the last 20 or 30 years, children have always been in the corporate gathering with their parents being taught together. We've kind of made that shift over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and not sure that it's, 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 I understand why we've done that. Um, the reason we do family gatherings as a church is we want our children to learn to be able to sit with us and to hear the word taught corporately together. So we have another family gathering coming up the end of the month. And I, and I know it may be challenging sometimes for us as parents, but it's very good for our children to learn to be in a corporate gathering with us, to learn to hear the word, to be a part of the body with us so that it's easier for them for one to make that transition 
into adulthood later on. But, but Paul's going to address the kids here, and the kids that he's addressing would be old enough to understand if they were disobeying and young enough to still be living in the household. So we can say uh, elementary age to teenagers. And the, the word that Paul uses when talking to that children is obey. Now, previously in a husband and wife relationship, he used the word submit. Now, obey is, a, is actually a much stronger word, right? Because we know, like I said earlier, that obedience is a behavior that should flow out of a changed heart. So if, if obedience does not come out of a changed heart, then it's not true change. It's just behavior modification. So children are called to obey their parents because he says there in, in verse 6, obey your parents in the Lord, right? For a child to obey their parents is that child's primary way in which they are able to worship God at a young age with their lifestyle, with their behaviors, right? We know that God made us as worshipers to worship him. As a child, a child many times isn't going to understand some of the more uh, the, the larger concepts of what it means to worship God. So as parents, we need to understand that when we teach a child to obey, we are actually leading them in being worshipers before God. So this really elevates for us this responsibility that we have to teach them to obey and also to obey for uh, the, right, the right reasons. And the way that we do this as parents, the way that we teach our children to obey in the Lord is through helping that child see their sin inside of their heart. And that happens through asking the right questions usually. When, when we see a child, a child sinning, it's, it's easy for me as a parent to yell at my children to get them to do what I want them to do, right? I can, because of my presence as a dad and the fact that I'm bigger and I'm louder than they are, I'm an authority figure. My natural response when I see my kids being disobedient is to shut it down real quick, put it, give consequences, and now there's peace in the house, and then go back to what I was doing. In doing that, I'm failing as a parent, and that I'm not addressing that child's heart in any way. I'm not helping that child understand what their, what their, what their sin is. So let's go back to our analogy that we started with at the beginning of the message. What we have, what, what I should see as a parent, when I go into my girl's room and I see them fighting over a toy, what we have is, is two sinning children, right? Well, we have two children preferring their own needs and desires over the others. Sure, one of those kids may have had the toy first, right? And so they it was taken from them. They were sinned against, but they are also sinning against the other child because they're, they're, not allowed, they're not putting the other child's needs before their own, right? And there's this notion in our culture today that um, it's okay for children not to share. You know, there's an entitlement that, oh, we don't want to teach them to share because, you know, we're allowing the other kid to then think that they can have whatever they want. Uh, I came across an, an article real similar to this uh, that was floating around the St. John's Facebook page a few weeks ago. And the title of the article was Why I Don't Make My Son Share. And it was written by a mom. It was a blog. Uh, and the reason I'm using it as an example is because it had 400,000 likes on Facebook. It had, it had a lot of shares. And even in our community, I saw a number of people saying, wow, that, she, that's a really good point. I, you know, I think I agree with what this lady is saying. And here was the premise of the blog. Uh, the mom was a part of a co-op, 
And one of the rules of the co-op is that children don't have to share. A child is entitled to a toy as long as they want it. And they can keep it, and no child can come up and take that toy from them. They don't have to give that child uh, that toy. So the example she used in the blog was if a child is on the swing set, and that child has to go and use the bathroom, the rules of the co-op are to hold the swing set until that child returns, and then the, swing, the child can have the swing back, Right? And she said, I never understood exactly why we had these rules. I just always thought it was a really good idea. And so in the blog, she said, so I started to really think about, think about why this rule is there. And she gave two examples in the blog. She gave one of being at the playground and her son had a little play truck and uh, a little toy truck in the sandbox. And another kid wanted to come up and, and play with her son's dump truck, right? Or whatever, whatever toy it was. And uh, she was watching this whole thing happen, and the other kid wanted it. She wasn't going to get involved in it, and, and her son wouldn't give the toy to the other child. And she said, well, it was my son's toy. He was playing with it. And another mom, the mom of the other child came up and took her child away and said, well, apparently some kids aren't taught how to share, and, and moved on. She was like, that was so good for my son not to share because it's his toy, He's not entitled to share that toy to anyone else. She gave another example of being at kind of like a, a place where, you know where they open community centers and kids can all come and play with toys together? Um, she was at one of those and her son had this little red car that he loves to ride around in, in the community center. And so for an hour and a half, her son rode around in this little red car in this gym. And uh, she was watching the whole time and this other kid kept coming up and asking for the play, the, the cart. And, and the mom would come up with the child and say, okay, it's time to give another kid a turn. It's time to give another tur- a ki- t- kid a turn. And the child just ignored her the whole time and just kept running around. And the mom was so proud of her child because her reasoning was, in life, you are not promised to get whatever you want. She's like, as an adult, if you want what another adult has, you don't get it. So, It's good to teach your child at a young age not to share with someone because that's the reality of life that they live in, right? That was her reasoning behind her approach as parenting. So Paul says here in verse 6, we have to teach our children to obey our parents in the Lord for this is right. There is a right way to teach your children. How do we know what the right way is as Christian parents? God's Word, right? So let's take that blog, let's take the idea that 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 mom had, let's compare it to the gospel. Does the gospel teach us that we are to give of ourselves? Did God ever give of anything that he was entitled to? Yes, his life. He gave everything. So, So then as Christian parents, we have to hear that, we have to read that, and we have to interpret it against the gospel and say, bad parenting right? That's, that's not the gospel. That also produces narcissistic children, by the way, who think they're entitled to everything. They never have to give anything. We as parents must teach them to obey through God's word as our standard. This, this is, for us, this is parenting. And so we have to have our, our ears attuned to what the culture is going to say, how we should parent, if we should discipline, all these different things, and we have to take it back to, to God's word. So, um, 
so I, I, know, I know this is a challenge, but, but we must be concerned with, with, with helping our child understand their sin, especially in the area of, of, not, of not sharing. We need to see that, that that child's heart has strayed and the child needs forgiveness. Um, when we address the heart of the child, we're also addressing the child standing before a holy God, right? And that's, a, that's an incredible responsibility that we have. And I, like I said earlier, I understand that this is hard work. It's going to involve a lot of time. It's going to involve um, a lot of patience to be able to lead that child to a proper understanding of, of what they're doing is wrong. So that they're not only disobeying us, but they're also sinning before God. But this is a task that God has set before us as parents. And I promise you, he's given you the Holy Spirit to help you in this task. Me and Russell were talking this past week about um, each of us have a very strong-willed child that um, does not understand wrong. Um, We have children who understand consequences, so they will change their behavior to not get a consequence, but they don't understand that what they, they have actually wronged someone else, that they have sinned against that person, and they have therefore sinned against, against God. The only hope that I have of leading my children to understand that is through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. I have to continue as a parent to teach my children to, work, to, to the Word, continue to have these conversations with them over and over again in hopes that one day God will open my child to realize that they are a sinner before Him and they need to repent and they need grace, right? So parents, as we walk through this today, have hope. Don't, don't ever give up. We must continue to, to teach God's words to our children, to teach them to obey and to teach them to live holy lives before God. And, and parents, this should also, because it requires the Holy Spirit to do this, because it requires God's words to do this, this should place a burning desire inside of our heart for our children to, to know God. Because it's only through knowing God and through meeting God that they are going to be able to change and live the life that He intended them to live. Uh, as, a, as a parent, I started when my children were in the womb like Ann and Chris's baby, I started praying over my children in the womb that one day they would receive God, that, that, that he would open their eyes to, to, to know him, that they would receive forgiveness. I pray at night. Um, uh, we, take, we put our children to bed, um, and then we give them a little bit of time to read and to listen to music and stuff like that. And then uh, I go back up later at night when it's time for me to go to bed, and uh, I turn off the music for my children and turn off any lights that may be on. And, uh, and then I pray over both of my girls. And the first five or six years, probably the first five years of their life, that prayer was, God, would you please choose my child? God, would you open up my child's heart to know Jesus? I can't, I can't do that. That's only something that you could do, God. Please have mercy on my children. And by God's grace, both of my kids today profess Christ with a, 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 a confessional faith. You know what my prayer is now? God, would you change my child's heart? God, would you fill, would you fill them with the Holy Spirit? Father, would you, would you reveal yourself to them that they, that they would know you? And, and parents, that has to be a daily prayer for our children because it is God's word that changes kids, not our words. 
It's, it's God's truth that opens up their hearts, not us. I want to challenge you guys, for you that are parents, for you that are not parents, begin to pray now for that day when, that child, when, when your child will come to a, functional, to a confessional faith, but also a functional faith, living it out. That's what Paul wants for parents in his address, to teach them to worship God in, in their obedience. Um, this language that I'm using here of, of, of kind of changing your child's heart is, uh, is talked about a lot in this book called Shepherding a Child's Heart uh, by Ted Tripp. And uh, me and my wife uh, were turned on to this book, I think, uh, a few years after, after Madison was born. And it radically changed the way that we had conversations with our children when we saw them when we saw them sinning. And, and it set us in a new trajectory as a parent to ask the right questions for our children. Uh, so I just want to encourage you as a parent, if, you're, if you really are struggling with this concept, this is an amazing gospel-centered book that will really give you the right tools and the resources uh, to help you have the right conversations with your child to lead them uh, to, to repentance. So Paul's going to go on here in, in verse 2. Uh, he's going he's gonna to talk directly to the children here, and he says, uh, Children, honor your father and mother, uh, for this is the first command with a promise. And the promise is that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in, uh, you may live long in the land. Uh, the command to uh, honor your father and mother is the fifth command of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four commandments have to do with God's holiness. The last six commandments have to do with the way that we interact with one another. So we need to make a direct correlation. If God, the first four talk about his holiness, and then you have the one that makes that transition to then talking about us, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of overlap there. So the point I'm making is honoring your father and mother Maybe something that we do with one another, but there's a direct connection between us, therefore, honoring God. When we honor our parents, we also are honoring God and honoring His, His holiness. So, so kids that are here in the room, um, what this means uh, when, he, when He says, honor your father and mother, is obeying the rules and instructions, for the most part, of your parents. That's one of the ways that for you that are, that are kids still living in the household, the way that you're going to, to worship God and glorify them in a very clear way at this young of an age is to, to be obedient to the rules and instructions of your parents. And this is whether or not you think it's fair. Uh, this is whether or not your friends have those same rules in their household. And uh, obedience to your parents, honoring your father and mother means doing what you are told. It means doing what you are told without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Um, so I really want to challenge you as you kids that are in the room, is that your standard of obedience? Because in doing that, you are also glorifying God in, 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 an, amazing, in an amazing way. Um, also, Many of the sinful patterns in the book of Ephesians that Paul's talked about also apply to children. So as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and we're talking about the way that we speak to one another, we're talking about anger, uh, we're talking about sexual immorality, Paul's not just talking to adults. He's talking to kids this whole time. They were sitting in the gathering. And so as parents, one of the responsibilities that we have when we read the book of Ephesians 
we need to not only think about our life and how we're walking in obedience, we also have to think about the lives of our kids. And we need to take the scriptures and say, hey, okay, what, is it, what does this mean here? Right? What, is, what does this mean for my child? And then I need to lead my child to having, we need to lead in conversations around the dinner table about what it means to live, live a holy life, what it means to honor God with, with, our, with, with obedience to our, to our honors, to our, to our parents. Um, parents, uh, those of you who are children, at which all of us are a child of someone, uh, so particularly for, for those of you whose parents are still alive today, so, so Paul addresses kids, but he also addresses adults who are someone's children. Um, and what he says to us also is, honor your father and mother. So adults, this isn't just something that Paul says to kids. This, he also says this, says this to us. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that we as adults uh, sin against our parents is in the way that we relate to them in, many times in their older age, age years. Um, I have seen in, in, in my relationship with, with you guys, and I've also seen this pattern in my, my own life of a disrespect toward our parents because our parents made poor choices or parented badly. Uh, this is a problem. This has always been a problem for God's people, for one thing. When God gave the Israelites the law in the Old Testament, in multiple places in the law, he talked about honoring your parents. Uh, he talked about adults honoring their parents, especially in their, in their older age years. When Jesus was alive on the earth, one of the things that he criticized the, the religious people were not honoring their parents in their older ages. There's actually a story in Mark 7 where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of not following the law. And Jesus says, you also don't follow the law because um, in the Jewish family, uh, one of the things the family would do is they would set aside funds to take care of the, the uh, parents as they age, as they get older. So every family had these funds set aside to take care of parents. You as a child, an adult child, if you didn't think your parents deserved to be taken care of, you could, decla- you could declare Corbin, which meant you were no longer responsible for your parents. And, but those funds then had to be given to the temple. You couldn't keep the funds for yourself. But it excused you from all responsibility of taking care of your parents because they were probably not good parents. You didn't think they deserved it, right? Jesus says, you have changed the law. That's not my law. That, that's your own. We know in the epistles that Paul multiple times talks about honoring your father and mother. Multiple times he talks about taking care of your parents in, in, the, in their old age. So for us now as, as, as Christian children, we have to really examine the relationship that we have with our mom and dad. Am I honoring my mom and dad? Uh, me and my wife have really good reasons not to honor our fathers. The world tells you that you get what you deserve, right? The gospel tells you that you get what you don't deserve. It's called mercy, and we've all received it, and we're all therefore called to extend that back to our parents. It's easy to honor a good parent, right? It models the gospel to honor a sinful parent. Isn't that what God did for us? 
So you as a child have this amazing opportunity to reflect the gospel to your parents when you honor them, especially if they've made really bad choices in life. And if you have suffered the consequences of those choices, it's, you, it's a sign of you, you receiving grace is when you model it, right? When, I'm telling you guys, it is, I understand how hard this is. The only reason that I honor my father is because I'm able to show the gospel to my father. My father does not deserve honor. He deserves to be alone. But that's not the gospel. And so it has to come in, it has to change me, and it has to change the way that I interact with my parents. It's the same for you that are kids. You may not think that your parents deserve honor. They are going to sin against you. They're sinful. You get to choose to therefore honor, honor your children. Uh, the, the reason that I'm, that I'm talking so much about this, uh, and, and the reason I wanted to, to really make this, this a big deal, is for those of you who are parents that have young children particularly, you have to be very, very intentional to teach them to honor and to obey at a very young age. Uh, and I'm talking like one, two, three, four, and five. That's when children are taught to honor their parents, not 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. By that point, it is an uphill battle. And so majority of us in here have very young children. We have to be, we have to be very, very intentional with them. Do, do the hard work early on with your kids and you will reap the benefit of it later on. I promise, I promise you as parents, dads particularly, Paul's going to go and to address you guys specifically, but dads, you have to be very, very intentional with your children at a young age. And this is going to involve time and it's going to involve a reprioritizing of your desires and your wants to speak into the heart of your child. Uh, one of the things that I am so grateful for is that the first uh, the, at the young years of my kid's life, the first five years, I am so grateful that God gave me a crappy job that allowed me to be around my children a lot. I was, I was so disappointed in the job that God gave me because it was like, you know, I was like a maintenance man at an apartment complex and it hurt my self-esteem. But that's what God wanted for me, right? And I, and I fought against it. I tried to apply for all these different jobs and tried to use my, my degrees and stuff like that. And it didn't work right? I didn't get the job that I wanted. And so God gave me this job that like I was around my children all the time. And I look back on those first five years of my kid's life and I am so grateful that I didn't get what I wanted because what I wanted was I wanted to make money, right? I wanted to live in a nice home. I wanted to own my own home. I didn't want to live in an apartment complex. I had all these things that I wanted, but God in his grace and the reason I think he did it for me is, is for you guys that are younger, who have young kids, choose your children over your desire to make money or your desire to increase your reputation or your influence. Now, dads, provide for your kids, provide for your family. That's a responsibility as the head of your household. But don't choose your career over your kids. You have your entire life to make money. You do. They're going to be grown and out of the house and you're going to have all of this free time to just make money like crazy if you want to. You only have your children for these few years 
to speak into their lives and to be involved in their lives, teach them to obey, teach them to honor, do the hard work early on. This is really what Paul is getting at here. So he, he tells the children, he tells the parents, honor your, your father and mother. He tells us, us as kids, as adults. And he says, this is pretty cool. He says, because this is the only command with a promise. So out of all the 10 commandments, it's the only one that comes with a promise. And the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that promise is found in, in two places. It's found in Exodus 20, 12, and it's found in Deuteronomy 5, 16. And the two places that God gave, he gave them the Ten Commandments and he repeated it later. He, he said that promise both times. Now, the promise initially was to the Jewish people, that if they obeyed their parents and honored their father and mother, then there's this twofold promise. You will be successful and prosperous and you'll live a long time in the land. Now, he's talking about the promised land, Right? He's given them the Ten Commandments. When you get to the promised land, you're going to live a long life and you're going to live a successful life. But this promise still applies for us today because it's a part of the Ten Commandments. It's a part of the law that still applies to us today because the Ten Commandments still apply to us today. So the promise still applies for us today. But now the promise is no longer limited geographically. It goes to wherever we happen to be, wherever we live today. So... It's a pretty cool promise. Hey, you want to be prosperous in life? Honor your father and mother. You want to live a long time? Honor your father and mother. Now, the caveat is this promise should be considered like a proverb. And the fact that it's a, it's a general pattern, it's a general truth, it's not an absolute truth. Imagine it like uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do some children depart from it when they've been trained up in the way they should go? Yes. But we still can look at this as a promise from God, as a general truth. So here's, I guess here's the point I'm making. Parents, do you want your kids to be successful and prosperous? Yes. What great links do we go to as parents to make sure our children are successful and prosperous? Right? The best schools, the best teachers, all of the extracurricular activities, exposure to as many things as we can, try out all the different sports. We push that child to succeed and to drive. We, we do homework with that child. We give that child extra homework because the teacher didn't give him enough homework. We need to prepare him for life, right? We go through great lengths to prepare our children to, to be prosperous. Are you teaching them to honor you? That's the promise of a long life. Just teach them to obey you. Teach them to honor you. Parents, let's put as much effort in teaching our children to obey God as we do in teaching them to have good grades or to be the best they can on that team. This is the challenge that that God is setting before us, and this is the promise that we have that goes along with it. So the last verse here in verse 4, Paul's going to turn his attention uh, to the dads, and uh, he's going to say fathers, right? He starts with the children. We could say in the, in the, in the, if, if there's a hierarchy here, children are at the low end. He starts with them. He's going to go to dads, the authority of the household, right? The, the ones that are called to leave. And he's going to say, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um, the church of Ephesus dealt with a problem that, in all honesty, is still very prevalent in the church today, and that uh, dads are, are, are not disciplining their children correctly. Uh, and the fact that 
that, you know, mom does the discipline and then we'll bring in dad and dad's going to be the heavy, right? He's going to come in with the hammer, right? You just wait till your dad gets home. Did you guys ever hear that growing up? Dads, our role in parenting isn't to be the muscle in the household. Our role in parenting isn't to do the yelling in the household, to, to, to do the, the harsh disciplines in the household, now, there, there is a place for that, don't get me wrong, but we have looked at that as our sole responsibility, that mom does all the disciplining, mom does all the instruction, and then I'll step in there if things really need, if things really get nasty. Dad will get in there and he'll put his foot down. Paul's saying, hey, dads, don't, don't provoke your children to anger. And, and here's what, here's what uh, provoking your children to anger is, dads. Over, uh, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, or anything else that can be perceived as provocative. How many of us as dads grew up in that household, right? How many of us as children grew up in that household? Did it provoke you to anger? Yeah, it did. Did it work? No, not really. It just waited until I got out of the household. Dads, the responsibility that we have is to lovingly shepherd our children. Paul says, don't provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up. Nourish them, right? If, in, if, the, if Paul, said, Paul uses the same word in 5 when he's talking about husbands and wife, when he says um, how Christ loved and nourished the church, it's the exact same word, exact same word. So dads, we are to love and nourish our children the way that Christ loved and nourished the church. We're to use the fruit of the Spirit to nourish our children. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, right? This, this is how we're to do it. So he says, nourish your children in discipline and instruction in the Lord, right? It's, it's two-part. The way that you nourish a child's heart as a father is through instruction, which is the, share, the shepherding of that child's heart. It's taking God's word. It's teaching them God's word. It's having the right conversations with them to lead them to understand what they're doing. And then it's also discipline, right? We're to, we're to instruct them, but we're also to discipline them. And the Bible talks a lot about discipline. We, we ha- I know in our society, it's not politically correct to discipline your children. And there's a a wide variety of ways to do this. We obviously shouldn't jump to physical, um, to corporal punishment real quick. Many times dads, that's us, we're corporal punishment. There's like a lot of steps that we can take before we ever get there as as dads. Uh, There's a lot of conversations. There's there's a lot of consequences that don't involve physical punishment to that child. Um, Before you guys leave, this just reminded me, I have a I have a printout that walks through seven steps. It's actually in this book here. It's seven steps of, of, um, of uh, it's basically seven stages of consequences for you and your children. And it starts from a gentle rebuke 
all the way to a much harsh, harsher consequence. And, it, and, it, and it, just ba- it does it based off the book of Proverbs. So it takes Proverbs, it takes all of what Proverbs says about discipline, and it walks through that. I really wanted to get, you to, to get that to you guys, especially as dads, because you may say, well, what consequence deserves what punishment? It talks about that in there. So I want to give that, guy, that resource to you guys. Please don't leave. Uh, it's on my laptop, and I'll print it out and leave it by the, by the back page. But uh, dad's discipline is a part of teaching, teaching our children about God. It's a part of instructing them. Think about your relationship with God. Is there consequences in there, right? Did, does God use punishment or does God use consequences, and I would say punishment, in a way to teach us things? Yes. Does God give us what we want if we want it more than him? Yes. Does that teach us something? Yes. We can use all of these lessons in the way that we interact with our children because, man, I want to see my children know God. I want to see them live in a way that honors him. I want to instruct them in, in all of his ways. I want to be a dad that, that God's word is a priority in my household because I want to lead them to change. Um, one of the, the beautiful things that we get to do as we come to take communion in, in a little bit is, is when we think about our relationship with God, we think about the, the child-parent relationship, right? God's the father. We are his, we are his children. So as a, as a parent, if I have failed in any of these ways, which I've failed in a lot of these ways, I've, I've, for me, I was reminded this past week that my job isn't to change my child's behavior. It's to change my child's heart, right? And if I have failed as a parent in that, I get this amazing opportunity to come to the table and to remember that God is the perfect parent. He never did that to me right? He's, the, he's the, the parent that was patient. He's the parent that endured with me. Uh, look at the great links that God went to for me. So I get to experience grace in my relationship with God, but then I also get to have my mind reoriented around what it does mean to be a parent. I think about my relationship with God and I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to be here. That's what I'm called to model. And then I get to leave this place going back out and, and getting to, to re-engage with my children and having gospel-centered conversations with them. So I want you guys to be encouraged. I don't ever want to leave these messages where I'm the guy saying, you did something wrong. I'm up here saying, you know, it's, it's hard, we're sinful, so we're not going to do this perfectly. But if I want to do it in a way that honors God, it's going to involve repentance and it's going to involve faith. And faith is me returning to God's truth and allowing it to, to direct me and to, and to lead me as a parent. So I just want to lead you guys in that as a husband and a wife, if you want to get your children and bring them and take communion together and to, and to covenant around God and say, God, we want to do this your way. Teach us to change, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be obedient to do this. I want to encourage you guys to do that. And then thirdly, Paul has talked so much about community throughout the book of Ephesians. And many times when we think of parenting, we would, we would automatically hear this message and say, you know what, this is just something that I just do with me and, my, and my, my kids, right? It's just between me and my family, me and my wife. But throughout the book of Ephesians, God has called the church to walk in a manner worthy of their calling together as a people. And this is going to involve us parenting together, Right? 
when I see disobedience in another child inside of this community, I need to see not, oh, somebody needs to talk to that kid. I need to see an opportunity I get to speak truth and love into that child, right? I get to walk with that parents and leading, and leading their children to, to obedience. And this is, trust me, church, this is messy, right? This is very messy. It's very hard. It involves a lot of real intentional conversations. But, uh, but I had, I had a, a really good conversation with a guy. Uh, we had a, an event and his child was just screaming like crazy and, and wouldn't calm down. And, and you could tell that he was embarrassed by the whole thing. It was a dad. And eventually he, had, he said, you know what, I'm just going to call my wife and I'm just going to have her come and pick up my child because um, it, this is just distracting to everyone here. And what he did in doing that is, is he didn't address the, the heart of the child. He didn't address the sin of the child. All he did was he made the child stop what it was doing to bring peace, right? And so I had to come before him and I confessed my sin of like, I should have gone to you and said, hey, don't call your wife. Keep your child here. We will, in, we will bear this together as a family, Right? When, when we hear it, when we see a child disobeying in this community, we should not think, oh, somebody needs to talk to that child. We should think together we are shepherding that child's heart. And single people, it's going to involve you guys too. It's going to involve patience with us as parents, patience with our children as they learn to, to be obedient. And we, we as a church own this relationship that we have. And we, and we use these moments to shepherd our children. So I just want to encourage you guys to do that. Even if you don't have kids, shepherd my child's heart, please. Let's shepherd one another together. Let's, 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 we can do this. God said we could. Let's take up this challenge and let's live a life of holiness. Let's teach our kids to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. So we're going to pray now. Um, and I want to encourage you guys to respond to God in a couple of different ways through worship, through giving of our tithes and offerings, and through coming to the table. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I just, um, I come before you with the, the weight of the reality of, of what you're calling us to here. And, and, and God, at first it seems like a, something that's unattainable. Um, you know, God, how am I going to do this? Lord God, you know, I've, I've not used, as a father, I've not used the opportunity with my kids the, the way that I should. But Father, I believe there's hope and so, uh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for all the promises that you gave us, like this promise that our kids will be successful and live a long life if we teach them to obey. Uh, Father, I just have to cling to that truth. God, I ask for endurance for us as parents, that we would, we would fight the good fight and knowing that, that uh, what we're doing in shepherding our child is, is just a picture of the gospel. And we get this amazing opportunity to, to do it. So fill us with strength. Fill us with joy. Um, Lord God, I pray for the, the single people in this room or the people who do not have kids. That, that uh, God, if it would be your will to give them children, that they would early on uh, apply the truths of your word. Um, that you would place this burning desire inside of them to begin to pray for the, their children that are not even born. God, you said before you created the earth, you knew all of us, God. You knew all of our days. You knew everything about us. Before we were knitted together in our mother's womb, the Psalms say that you knew us. And so God, I just have to claim that truth and, uh, and pray that it would be a priority that, that, the, that we would all begin to pray for our children and, uh, and teach them to, to know you, God, and, and ask that you reveal yourself to us, reveal yourself to our kids. 
We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.